The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! To the Third Men Podcast, episode 150. I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky, and this is a Jack White history program. I nearly started a sketch, like, right there, because I'm, yeah. like, hearkening. I was about to start blowing on some noisemakers, like it's New Year's. Uh-huh. Feeling nostalgic, are you, for the sketches, James? I mean, no, I just was rolling right into it, because, like, it, it was just felt natural, like, the energy you brought to the table there. Was just really... I was trying to get the energy up. No, I know. Uh, yeah. And it, it worked. It, it made me want to just jump right into an improv sketch that nobody asked for. And <laughs> we're, we're very good at that. Yeah, no, we're great at non-consensual improv. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky, by the way. I didn't say that. This is a Jack White History Podcast. This is episode 150. And we're celebrating here... Today, like Rita Repulsa, it's been 600 years since I've been not sick. I've been very ill for all of 2021, and um, yeah, but it's 150. We're excited. Cue noisemaker yeah. sound effect. You remember when we we thought 20? What was the year we were mad at? 2016. I think we were it was all mad at that one. Yeah, or was it 2015? Right, so I think it was also 2015 we all and also 2014. We were mad at. There was a, a year we were all mad at. We're like this year. Paul, I've been burning calendars every year. Yeah, the year twenty twenty one has actually been actively trying to kill James. This is no exaggeration, James. I mean, I had, got COVID this year. Like James has had the COVID. He was between shots, and we still maintained our pace on the podcast. I'm very proud of us. What's that quote from Die Hard? I shot a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this is episode 150 of the Third Men Podcast, and we are, I think, a little tickled that we've lasted this long. You know, that's pretty great. It's been four years. Can we start at four more years, Chant? Four, <laughs> four and a half years now at the time of this recording, and we want to thank everybody, of course, for all the support and everything, and in 
the spirit of this podcast, which is a very DIY affair, you know, when we started doing this, we didn't know anything about podcasting. And even now, we still barely know anything. But it's been four and a half years, and we learned something. And what we learned is we need to be true to ourselves. And so for this episode, we've titled it Four Years of Chances. And this comes from a discussion that I had with our guest today, Nick Harvey. Nick is a marketing executive at Atlantic Records, and he was a friend of our mutual friend, Ryan Brady. And Nick co-hosts a wonderful Adventure Time podcast called Adventure Guys, which I guested on earlier in the year. And during that episode, we were talking a bit about the gap between releases and how a chunk of four years can really make such a difference in an artist's life and in the life of a fan as that fan continues to absorb music, especially at tender moments in life like the four years of high school, or the four years of college, or even those four years after college. I know not everybody's lives are broken into those neat four-year chunks, but we decided to take that idea and expand it out into sort of a long-form, informal discussion about the nature of music fandom and how four years can really make a big difference in what you learn how to listen to when you're first starting out listening to music and what winds up becoming your favorite music in your life. Informal. Speak for yourself, Paul. I was wearing a tuxedo the entire time. It's true. Um, he was. Yeah, no, it was very uncomfortable, and it was filled with all of those pathogens that... James had a pathogen tuxedo <laughs> he wore. Yeah, I made it, I stitched it full of those COVID illustrations that everyone puts with the, the, the ball with the little sticky things over it. Yeah, I was made of those. Do you remember in the movie Outbreak, where at the end, Kevin Spacey, noted bad man, Kevin Spacey is dying from the monkey virus thing and he's shaking and stuff and they're trying to get his temperature down and they're padding him with plastic bags full of ice and it's melting and it's boiling and he's shaking. That's what you were wearing. That's, that yep. is a pathogen tuxedo. It's real, it's bags of ice taped to your body as you're shaking. And um, my headphones flew off there, so I was getting a little buried <laughs> in the part. Long story short, we had a great discussion with Nick Harvey about music and what it takes to play music and market music and fall in love with music and obviously nick's perspective as a label guy at atlantic is sort of invaluable in these discussions because you know james and i as we've often said are on the outside looking in when it comes to that stuff and it's always cool to have an insider's perspective on what makes the music industry tick. So this episode is going to be a, you know, a little different. There is a lot of Jack discussion, of course, but this episode ranges a bit. So just fair warning, you know, we kind of talk about music a bit more broadly in this one, but it does come back to Jack an awful lot because James and I found Jack in one of those tender four-year periods. Yeah. And that's when his music became part of our lives. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and like Paul said, this discussion definitely, it starts heavy in non-White Stripes or Jack White or Third Man territory, but we do get there. And it's it's all super interesting. I really enjoyed this discussion because it's really nice to hear stories about how people find music and genres of music and 
how they get attached to what they get attached to. And and we kind of touched on that in the episode where I go on a long-winded essay about how Little Acorns is my favorite song now. And... <laughs> it was more like a two-hour tone poem, which I like. <laughs> yeah. You said the word uh, for your gap, Paul, and that reminded me of a thing I heard about recently that I don't remember if we've ever talked about. And I know this is a weird tangent, but it is White Stripes related, which is that the White Stripes turned down a Gap commercial. Wow, really? Which is hilarious to me. I mean, it makes so much sense, but in 2003, they turned down a $1 million commercial for the Gap. Wow, were they going to be wearing khakis? I Well, that's what I wanted to discuss briefly, is like, <laughs> what What do you think it would have been? Like, would it have been in black and white? Would they have had any creative control? <laughs> is this a stitch of the spur? <laughs> We can sew. There you go. You can sew. Ah. If only we had known this earlier. Sewing. Should we t- tell the people what Stitch of the Spur is? <laughs> yeah. This is when we talk about... Isn't this when we usually talk about his upholstery? Yeah. Stitch in the Spur got appropriated to be both upholstery and fashion. Because it's our own... It's our f***ing podcast and we can do whatever we like. <laughs> so there you go. this segment is about both upholstery and fashion now james read this thing you found okay all right wait 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 this is coming from via the av club no it wasn't a million dollars but we did turn down a gap ad i think a couple of them this is coming from jack white on av club there were so many insane offers like that there still are as you can imagine i'm sure that any band that gets that kind of attention that kind of buzz gets stupid offers from people trying to leech off of them now i really i want to know what gap was thinking when they came back a second time uh, to be like, look, I get, I get that you're like garage rock icons uh, who are the epitome of Detroit, but uh, would you like to be in our preppy white person clothes? Come on, no shade on anybody who wears Gap stuff. I just their their yeah, whole right. marketing campaign is is very not them. It's like fake them. Well, there is the hardest button to button, and that seems fairly tailor made pun initially accidentally but then mid-sentence fully embraced and intended good i like for the gap yeah yeah um yeah was the end of that sentence i'm interested in how uh jack would have incorporated the color tan into his red white and black color scheme (laughs) i really want to know how they would have put uh, a hatred of telephones Mm -hmm. and the automobile planned obsolescence yeah uh, into it isn't Gap like known for planned obsolescence? Don't they make stuff that's like meant to be? I don't know if I'm ready to throw that kind of shade at the Gap because I just don't know, James. We're not fashionistas, you and I. We explore this area, but much. I like... think they're called fascists. Paul. Yeah, we're not fascists, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> but you know, he did do the Coca-Cola commercial, which leads me to believe that it really was probably down to that red and white. And black I think thing. so. Either that or Coca-Cola really did offer him a million dollars. Or 
Coca-Cola is just more representative of Americana than the Gap. He might also like soda. There's a heritage to the Coca-Cola brand that I feel like is very much in the Jack White wheelhouse. Yes, no, there's a heritage to it that's manufactured, I mean, by nature. I think the litmus test is if the, would an American picker pick at that? At a Coca-Cola thing, and I or at a thing, and that's a thing Jack would participate in. An American picker would probably not be shopping at the Gap, because American pickers ain't picking there. They're picking at somebody's barn, looking for rusty gold. They're picking at a barn in the woods. Yeah, and they're finding Coca-Cola signs and spark plugs and bodies. Lamp. That was a dark episode. Yeah, where they where they did they pick the body? That was a weird one. Yeah, <laughs> is this taxidermy? No, no, he, it's a dead body. Oh, yeah. So, oh, all right. Well. Offered him twelve dollars. Got it too. Yeah, that was a good bargain. And you can see that now at Third Man Records in the Blue Room <laughs> on the wall. The American diggers are back at the ball. I found that out, by the way, real quick, because a friend of Brendan and Jack's was commenting on the Third Man Records collectors group about the Gold Dollar show, the first Gold Dollar show. She had mentioned that she was with Brendan trying to get into that show and couldn't because it was at capacity. So they left and went to another show instead. And uh, then she was like, it never had dawned on her that the White Stripes would make it big or anything like that until she moved away and heard them in like the backwoods of Virginia on the radio she heard fell in love with a girl and then her friend called her and said that he had turned down a gap ad and I was like oh my god he he turned down a gap ad (laughs) that was what I clung to on this whole conversation that I was eavesdropping into on Facebook I love that I'm sorry I don't remember your name of the person who commented that stuff but uh it was very interesting and I I really appreciated reading it all come on the show we want to hear more stories like that were you out there picking were you picking were you, out there when you heard that fell in love with a girl? Were you picking? Did you find the body? Did you have that body? Were you picking? What'd you pick? Hmm? I was scratching. <laughs> no, pick! No, no pick! pick! no pick! No pick! Right, that's been switched in the spur. Stitch in the spur. Picking the spur. The little and broken, but still good. Yeah. All right, James, speaking of picking, I pick this interview to listen to now. Yeah. How much for this interview, James? I want to pick this interview. How much? It's a million dollars. Looking for rusty gold. According to the Independent UK, talking about how Jack White sold out by doing a Coca-Cola ad. This is, quote, the Independent. The singer is also a self-confessed Coca-Cola obsessive. When a teenager, he wrote 100 short songs about the beverage. The White Stripes' dress code of only ever wearing white, red, or black clothes also has obvious parallels to the soft drink company. No um, way. Yeah. So that's fun. I want to hear those 100 songs. Some of that's usable. Anyway, let's go to the interview, huh? like to welcome to the third men podcast our guest this week nick harvey nick you are a fellow podcaster i recently appeared on your wonderful podcast adventure guys about the 
television show Adventure Time and sprawling extended universe Adventure Time. And you also work at Atlantic Records. And we have known each other for a little while. We were introduced through our mutual friend, Ryan. Mm -hmm. And hey, you're on our show now. Now it's our rules. Oh, God. The Thunderdome. You have to break (laughs) one of those guitars by the time this is over. Oh, God. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I listened, you know, I've I've listened to the pod and you came on ours, of course, and it's fun. I was like, these are my type of people, people who like music and want to talk about it and think about it a lot more than other people maybe and want (laughs) to dive into it. Um, And I'm like, yeah, that's where I'm at. And James, I'm just, I mean, from listening, I know that we're on the same page. This is going to be fun. I'm excited to talk. (laughs) I encourage that sort of hubris from all of our listeners. So thank you. And uh, (laughs) it's great to meet you. And it's great to have you on. Yeah, great to meet you. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about this. Nick, Mm -hmm. why don't you start here and tell our dear beloved listeners a little bit about what you do at Atlantic. And some of that's going to inform our topic today, which is we're going to talk a little bit about cycles of fandom and the kinds of groups that we got in maybe at different stages of our lives. But tell us how music became a career for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm I'm trying to think about saying it in a way that won't be uh, long winded and uh, and boring. So this is a podcast. I think (laughs) both of, both of those are mandatory. (laughs) Also one's hosted by us. uh, So (laughs) I work at Atlantic records. I'm a marketing director there. I've been at Atlantic Records for almost 10 years, a decade, which is wild to think about. I've also worked in a couple other departments, the touring and artist development department, the digital marketing department, and now I'm a marketing director working on bands and thinking about the rollout, the marketing timeline, what singles come when, visual presentation, how much money we're going to spend and all that stuff. And I don't know, just like driving the ship, you know, and, yeah. and manning it. Much, you know, same position Ryan had. And to get into here, it's been a fun road. And the topic of fandom it plays centrally into it for me. And probably for a lot of people who work in a creative industry or, or music. And that, you know, at some point when you're a young person and you're trying to find out what you're into and your identity and what matters and what doesn't to you. And you find music and you're like, oh, this is something that actually matters to me. And it bonds you with other people. I played music and I still play music, hence the guitars behind me referenced. Um, and um, yeah, just gotten, I mean, we're going to have lots of time to talk about what exactly I got into that made me such a, a music fan. But yeah, just got like deeply into to music and concerts. And just thinking about it the other day, it's just like at this point in my life, most of the people that are involved in it outside of my family, I have been connected to in some way by music. Yeah. Growing up, in, I was in marching band and school band, and then I played in bands, and then going to college, I was in the college radio station where I had a show. I booked concerts with two different organizations. I played in the jazz band, the marching band, with the orchestra. I had a punk band. I sat in with other bands, and it's just like the webs that were yeah. all like music. <laughs> and I that's not to say I didn't do it. I played sports all the time growing up like I was a huge sports head I was a huge baseball fan which I think informed some of my fandom tendencies and the way I interact with music I may have picked up from baseball which you could talk about more and I did a lot and I was a business major when I went to college I was sort of like yeah music was great I'll meet people like I'll meet people who like music but I'm going to do other things too and I was in all sorts of I tried different clubs and being a finance 
major for one semester, which was an ill-considered idea. And it, it just like all roads have sort of, <laughs> for me, led back towards music and my passions and identity and everything. And eventually I was like, you know, I just got to keep following where things are pointing me towards. And booking concerts on campus was 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 fun playing in bands like when i was in bands i was one of the guys in the band who would like book the shows or <laughs> show up to a gig and hand out flyers i booked shows on campus i would like go to the dining halls and just like hand yeah. out a million flyers and it was like this entrepreneurial spirit that was mixed in with the artistic shit that i loved and being able to marry those two things seemed like a dream so then I tried to, I did some internships, some smaller companies that were okay. And then through my fandom of being into punk, I was on a forum and I found an email for a marketing assistant at Atlantic Records. <laughs> I had been sending out cold emails to try to intern for any sort of manager, booking agent, record label, anything. And no one was getting back to me. And this assistant on this punk forum yeah. was like, oh yeah, you should come in. I came in and one of the bands I had booked at my college just showcased for them. They're like, you're great. Yeah, come here, intern for me. And then I, that led into a job. And now 10 years later, I'm here. Wow. So you did the right good thing where you got a business background and then applied that to the arts mm -hmm. instead of just rolling the old dice arenas there like James and I did <laughs> and, and getting the arts degree first and then back ending it into business. You did the, if I had to give any advice to aspiring creatives out there is that get a degree in anything but creativity. <laughs> and then you can, you have your whole life to be creative. That stuff comes naturally. Take the shit that you learned, the real world skills. You were a business major. Was that your major business? I was marketing major, economics minor. And then I did like a music minor. So yeah. you were a marketing major at the tail end of the financial crisis getting ready to swoop in there, yeah. make some big moves, and then you decided to apply that to music. That's very that's very smart thinking of you, Nick. Yeah, it was smart. It was also just sort of, I don't know if it was really so smart as more of where it just ended up. Like a career in the arts, like I had known nobody who could do that. It seemed like kind of a far-fetched idea to begin yeah. with, and I didn't have the hubris to be like, I'll be the one to do it. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to find my ways in. I, I think what you're saying has a lot of merit. There are, you know, after getting into the music business, though, I have discovered there are these great programs at a couple specialized schools that really do seem to like set you up. If you're like a kid who's 16, you're like, I'm going to work in the music business or I'm going to be like a, a producer. There's like a couple like NYU and USC and Syracuse and Belmont are these like feeder schools where you just go and then they just like set you on this like life path that doesn't necessarily work out. But uh, it's kind of interesting. I was like, whoa, I didn't even realize that was an option. Uh, right. <laughs> what, what did you well, guys study, both of you, in college? I studied illustration. illustration. Um, so, yeah, I, I really got a degree and it's something you could teach yourself, basically. <laughs> so. Got it. I did the same. My degree, I have a bachelor's degree in cartooning, which is applicable in so many instances. So many. Not yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. there's so many gas stations I could work for. I, and I think art school, the thing it gave me was just networking. It gave me the yeah. a built in network of working industry professionals, in some cases, my boyhood heroes that I was able to take and translate into a job after the fact. That is 
what I tell people is the sole reason to go to art school is to make connections. And if you're not making connections, then you're doing it wrong because you can literally teach yourself everything they're teaching you. And I think you are in most cases because teachers are are hands off to a degree because they can't tell you what pen stroke to do or whatever. (laughs) So the connections you make are, are kind of the most important. And it seems like it was similar to you where you made a personal connection and that's kind of what opened the door. So. Totally. And think about going to music. If you're going to go to school for music business, really, you could. I don't think anyone is like, I need to see your four year bachelor degree if, <laughs> if you want to work at Atlantic <laughs> Records. Like, there's people there. I know people who didn't graduate because they got the job and they just went on their way. But if you're going to go to school for it and you went to somewhere like NYU or Syracuse, you're setting your, or USC or whatever, you're setting yourself up with a network of like minded people. And then those schools are actually good about feeding you into a pipeline and connecting you with people. And it really sets you up and puts you miles ahead of like where I was when I went to my guidance counselor, my senior, I was like, I think I want to work in music. And they literally said, I can't help you. I, we don't, (laughs) we don't know anyone. There's nobody in our, our network, alumni network, our job network, our career network that does anything with music. And I was like, that can't be like, there must be somebody and they're like, yeah, we just, it doesn't exist. So it was like, weird. I mean, that was the, the weird thing about my college where you, you were applauding me for being smart about it. But when I look back at my college experience, there were pluses and minuses to it. One was that I did go to school for business. I went to the university of Delaware and I found some great friends there, but it was not like a overwhelmingly like artistic community or something. Like there yeah. was a community and, and people who have gone on to do cool things as well. Lots of great people. But I think it kind of led me to when I was graduating to be like, oh, let's go to New York City or let's go to somewhere or Philly. I was going to move to Philly. Like, this seems cool where there's an artist community. But the thing it did give me was less competition in which I was able to then do more things, which gave me experience and helped me get the job. So I try not to dwell on the past too hard yeah. uh, when it comes to those things. But I'm now dying because I, I'm trying to remember the mascot of Udell, which I think <laughs> is a blue hen. Yeah, it is. is. That, am I right? Yeah, okay. you're right. I had a lot of friends who went to Udell, and I just remember this this blue chicken is in my head. And so the minute you said that, I just had flashbacks to this <laughs> The cool thing chicken. about the chicken, it's called U-D, okay. Y-O-U-D-E-E. And U-D is a female, which most college mascots, I don't believe, are female. Ah. So that well, was, I'm, that's interesting. I'm glad. Yeah. What glad an, do this, do what with that what you will. What an odd footnote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the school of visual arts in Manhattan where I went had no mascot because we had no sports program. But I do remember some of the more, let's call them sports inclined members of our class did for Halloween craft an SVA football team, which they, they paraded around the city. And that's about as close as we got. I don't think we had a mascot. We had like, I don't know, UTIs, a lot of those. <laughs> drugs. Yeah. We had some drugs. The University of Texas Instruments. We had some fun drugs. Um, um, yeah. The closest thing to a mascot we had was a T-shirt that our school made, which, I mean, I thought it was funny at the time. I don't know. It was a shirt that just said... Uh, UART's football team undefeated since 1861. Wow. Um, Good. And it's, they didn't have one. So uh, they just. Sweet they just Civil War poll. <laughs> <laughs> well, the school was found. No, wait. It was 1875. It was the, the centennial. Your sports team will soon suffer swift defeat. That theory's backed up by empirical evidence. We're going to grind up. 
your guys at the burger meat. Again, of course, we're speaking in the figurative sense. So one of the things we wanted to talk to you about, Nick, and give us your insight both at that time, you know, growing up and at the different stages of your life, but also now as, as a label person, we're talking a little bit about something that came up on your Adventure Guys program when I spoke to you folks. And it was an interesting conversation because we were talking, I think I had mentioned St. Vincent. And mm-hmm. at the time, she had not put out a new record in four years. And you, I think it was you that said, that's somebody's entire college life. Yeah. Where they went to school and there was no new St. Vincent album. And what a interesting, like, missed opportunity that is. And we were talking a little bit about how artists these days have maybe come up with a, a workaround to that where they'll drop lots of singles or lots of remixes or EPs, stuff like that, to kind of fill in the gap between larger album projects. But it got me thinking... In my four years of high school and four years of college, those were really defining moments of my musical taste. And that pertains to this show in the sense that toward the tail end of high school is when I found the White Stripes. And throughout college, that was the real cementing of my fandom of Jack and the kinds of music that he makes. So I wanted to talk to, well, just sort of have an informal discussion, the three of us, just a bit about the trajectory of our high school and college years and what bands maybe fostered a fandom in those times. And to talk a little bit about that album cycle and is it detrimental to have artists go four years between a record? Does it matter if they're legacy artists? Does it matter if they are sort of mid-tier or new artists, things like that? So Nick, how about high school for you? Was there a fandom that developed in those four years of high school? So you must have gone to high school, what, mid-2000s or tail end 2000s there? Yeah, 2003 to 2007 okay. is my my four years. And James, those were your years too, right? Of high school, yeah. yeah. And what was yours, Paul? 1999 to 2003. Okay. So I was right at the, you know, Fred Durst was just hot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is it crazy to think about 99 to 03 and 03 to 07 are just totally kind of different worlds? Right. Yeah, they're completely yeah. different. Yeah. It's strange to me because I witnessed it through Paul, but I mean, I was at an age when TRL was, I don't know, gone in in high school, but it was like very much alive for Paul's high school. Right. <laughs> it was alive for my middle school and definitely, yeah. in, I, definitely informative to me. I mean, the first band i think for people of my age it's probably be a common answer that blew things open in middle school was blink 182 mm-hmm. okay yeah that was the thing that really got me into music there's lots of other things but that like enema of the state was like why i wanted to pick up a guitar it was like the best thing ever and i was thinking about that the other day i was like it's, it was just such a perfect nexus of things to be into in the late 90s early 2000s i lived in california at the time i loved skateboarding and surfing and like that whole culture so they're doing that like i love jackass was like hitting at the time and they're doing that and i loved weird al and then they come out all the small things is like a parody video and then i mean what better music to listen to when you're that age but like pop punk and since then uh tom delong has even said that he had this vision for a sound that he knew would be huge and take over the world which was to match like the energy and fun of punk rock with nursery rhyme esque melodies. 
and very huh. simple things because he was like, it's just perfect. It's already in people's heads. That's what will stick with them. And you listen to Enemy of the State and you can like hear that. So, I mean, for me, it was just kind of like a perfect cocktail of things that 13 yeah. year old me would want to hear. I took her out. It was a Friday night. I walk alone to get the feeling right. We started making out and she took off my pants. But then I turned on the TV. And that's about the time she walked away from me Nobody likes you when you're 23 And I saw more of my TV shows What the hell is ADD? My friends say I should act my age What's my age again? What's my age again? Enema of the State was huge in high school for me. That was really big. I mean, that came out, what, 2000? 99, so, 2000? So yeah, 99, 2000. And Somewhere in that range, yeah. Yeah, all the small things. I mean, there was tons of songs on that album that were a huge hit. That's interesting you say that. I never knew that about their approach, taking nursery rhyme style simplicity and applying it to the, the punk aesthetic, the, the pop punk aesthetic, because that's an awful lot like what Jack did with the blues. <laughs> you know, Jack. that's Jack White's right. whole thing. He's like taking that sort of very simple nursery rhyme style thing and applying it to the to both the you know the Melvins and to Robert Johnson or something and you know, yeah. creating yeah. that concoction, it's a little less universal, I I suppose, in the sense that it didn't really sound anything like like Blink One Eighty Two. You can kind of say, okay, yeah, they're building off of kind of what Green Day was doing and building off that pop punk thing. And there's a little bit more of a commercial take there. And so what Jack was doing, at least at the start, wasn't quite that commercial. But I think it's kind of in the same vein. And, and another interesting footnote about Blink-182 and Jack White is that I think it was Tom DeLonge that talked to Third Man initially about a subscription service, which wound up giving birth to The Vault. I think we talked about that, James, Whoa, in an earlier like, episode. So wait, that was his idea, sort of? They had talked to them about it. I think it predates the Pearl Jam one, because there was a Pearl Jam one for a long time. But if I'm recalling correctly, it was a conversation that Jack and the, and the Benz had with Blink-182, their camp. Tom DeLonge is a, a famously eccentric weirdo. Um, yeah. He just gave us aliens, for God's sake. I'm very excited about but, it. But yeah, but I was going to say is that it, he's not always off the mark. Yeah. Like, he is weird, but like, he was right about the aliens. He was right. He, this thing with Jack White. He also was pioneering a, uh, I want to look more into this, but a social media network that he started creating before Facebook, I think, and was trying to make it a thing, but it it, was he Tom of MySpace? Was he it that failed, tough? It failed. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. But it failed, and it was like connected to his band Angels and Airwaves. But uh, I don't know. Wild. <laughs> that <is> wild. <laughs> to uh, add a footnote to Paul's thing, yes, that was Tom DeLong off of the Vault's Mod Life page. Wow. Uh, so it had. I think Ben told us about that, James, at one yeah. point. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Mod Life was launched in 2007 by Tom DeLonge with Angels and Airwaves, and it coincided with some other stuff. And they, That's what so I'm they talking gonna, about, yeah. Yeah, so they were going to do a subscription service with that, and um, the vault kind of mimicked a lot of that. Well, let, so, let's wow. stay on Blink-182 for a moment. So that's middle school for you guys. Then when you get to high school, Blink-182, I mean, the peak of their relevancy is 99-2000, right? And after yeah. that, they are still in the zeitgeist, but they're not exactly churning out the kinds of culturally significant records that they had been. So let's look at them for a moment. So Nick, where did you find yourself in Blink-182 land in high school? And then how did that evolve into college? They put out their untitled record 
and my freshman year, 2003, I remember. And I kind of like didn't exactly like it. Like mm. that's where they, you know, they're bringing like some cure influence and they, they like, are, they're basically trying to like push the envelope of what Blink-182 could be. And for me at 14, I was like, I, I don't want that. <laughs> I like the envelope the way it is. I'm 14 yeah. years old. Yeah. And looking back, it's actually kind of an interesting record for them to have made. I think like without that, I think their legacy would be a different thing, but I definitely got more into punk. Now I didn't have an older brother when I moved 2003. I moved from California to New Jersey and went to high school in New Jersey. Where? Where in New Jersey? Yeah, I got it. We got to know now. Mount Olive High School. It's oh, okay. It's right near Lake Hopakong and Bud Lake and Roxbury, Rockaway. I know where Mount Olive is. Yeah, we grew up in Central Jersey. So we're Oh, where's that yeah. at? Exit A Day. <laughs> South Brunswick, yeah. So Okay. I got this horribly wrong last time we had a Jersey person on. Is that North or South Jersey? Yeah, I'm North, Northwestern, I usually call it. Okay. So you're yeah. basic, you're in Pennsylvania too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or there New York too, depends, depending on where you're at. All right. Exactly. It's more like Pennsylvania. It's the sequel to either of those states. Not New York, not Philadelphia. Proud to be New Jersey. So during that time though, New Jersey does have a, a thing where like the punk scene was a real thing and like it hit hard there sort of like in long island so without an older brother anyone having any sort of guidance and i'm like a freshman in high school i was watching like mtv2 and fuse tv and like trying to just grasp for straws and finding new music like with no one to show me it and no internet at the time really so besides like limewire so this is funny you were talking about we did briefly talk about this, Paul, before the show, and I was thinking about like the things I liked. And there's other fandoms that now that I get into in high school and college that I look back on finally and feel like a part of me. Yeah. But right. one that is that I don't look back on so fondly, but was there, and like if I'm being honest with myself, was impactful for me. Would be the sort of like alternative press warp tour realm of pop punk emo all that stuff and like my chemical romance hits taking back sunday hits and those are like thursday like those are bands from new jersey and from long island so it's like also like a regional pride thing and i liked a lot of those bands and i got into that i was like fishing around but the things that started to really click with me and then send me on another road was that there were bands inside of that that spawned intense fandoms like Coheed and Cambria Mm. was like quickly, I think I found them. And then growing up, my mom had played like the who's Tommy a lot. So then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, Coheed. It's like, Oh, it's sort of pop punk, but they have like 10 minute songs that take you on this huge journey. And I got really into them. And there was like this whole other subset of like in this punk world, but we're like looking for more. Yeah, mm-hmm. this band called The Fall of Troy. I love Terramelos, Portugal the Man, and then the king of all of that would be, in my mind, would be the Mars Volta, which yeah. is one of my all-time favorite bands. And featuring uh, Ike Owens, uh, oh, touring, of, yeah, yeah, touring member of the Jack White Solo of group. the Jack White, and I booked Ike's band in college, Free Moral Agents. Oh wow, whoa, that's awesome.
And that was like a really fun experience as like a huge head of Mars Volta. And he had like an extensive recording career of like sessions and, and all sorts of stuff. He was killer, killer yeah. player. I don't know. I give you a really long winded answer. Did Y <laughs> ever make its way in there for you? No. No. Okay. When you're rattling off some of these, it's sounding a little like a, a fellow I knew growing up, one of my good friends. And it's interesting the divergence that I took and the punk world took. Cause I was, you know, I was in fourth grade 94 when Dookie hit. And so like that mm-hmm. was everywhere for a few years and Nimrod and all those and Green Day and that. And I got really, really deep into like that sound as a little kid. Uh, and I really loved Warning because I loved when they busted out the acoustic guitars and the harmonicas and decided to be Beatles for five minutes before they're like, yep, yeah, just kidding. And that's our career now. And I was just like, well, <laughs> yeah, maybe so. But I don't know. American Idiot was the one that lost me. And so I, there's a divergence for me when it comes to that punk sound versus what I wound up doubling down on, which was the blues. Plus, and, you were just a couple years older. So right, like, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if you were just that's where I think the four years like. For me being 14 and then I could get into this whole, this whole warp Tour thing starts hitting and it's like perfect. And yeah. then by the time I'm, by the time I'm 18, 1920, I start finding things like the blues and funk and jazz and just like opening my world. But at 14, you know, it's just so that four year difference between us really illustrates. It does make a difference. I think the four years prior, I feel like the ska movement was the oh. pop punk movement of... Your well, I, high school. I, I really wanted to bring up ska because, sh- like, Streetlight Manifesto was like gods at my high school, and you guys were from Brunswick, so and Catch Twenty Two. So then, I went down that road too, and all really the different punk genres, but ska even a little bit. You know, I was a little bit older, but like Streetlight and then Catch and Big D. I played in a bunch of ska bands, yeah. and that was another definite like not defining but like a big road that i enjoyed being a part of that genre was huge i mean real big fish and all that was hitting right when i was getting into high school and throughout high school gwen stefani's no doubt because that has ska elements to it i was a big no doubt i mean i i love them through rock steady and all that stuff where people find a little dicey but i love rock steady and all that. but like i guess in my high school experience there was like classic rock kids and metal kids and ska kids and emo kids and and they all sat together at a breakfast club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but I I was definitely a self-identified classic rock kid. Yeah, uh, with a pop streak in me. So I was very I was still attuned to pop music through the end of middle school and then into high school. And then I started to get a little snooty, which I actually, I regret a lot because I missed out on a lot of good pop. We talk about this a lot in past episodes. That yeah. We've, we've broadened our taste since then, but yeah, he, you've probably even mentioned that I think on ours about heading down. It was fine. I did definitely, I think you got to have a period like that as a, as a music fan, Yeah, you know, where you think you figured it out. You're like, this is what real music is. <laughs> but, but so I, anyway, indie rock came along in yeah. college and indie rock was the thing, talk about four years. Like in the four years I went to college, 2003 to 2007, indie rock exploded. Indie rock became a real thing, built off of the garage rock boom. And bands like The Stripes and The Strokes and The Hives, mm-hmm. the the bands kind of built this whole world. And so I really found a home for myself in groups like She and Him and mm-hmm. Scissor Sisters and... God, so many um, groups at that time. The Blow. I don't know if you, you guys remember The Blow at all. I loved oh, yeah. them. 
but all of this kind of 60s-ish sounding stuff. And that was the explosion for me in college. Like that was the genre I zeroed in on and then decided I was going to follow moving forward with a sprinkling of hip hop in there. I don't know. Did hip hop ever enter your world, Nick? Not so much. I'd say later. Yeah. Like post college. I think it doesn't exist anymore, but there was just some like weird uh, against hip hop stuff. I grew up with a lot of classic rock kid friends and there was just a sort of prejudice against hip hop that a lot of people had, which doesn't seem right to say it. No, (laughs) I I get it. I I remember the look on my, my best friend from childhood's face, Mike Josias putting him on blast here when I bought an outcast CD at the Best Buy. And he's like, why? And I was like, I don't know. Miss Jackson rules. I assume these other songs rule. Like, yeah. that's why. And, and they did. And they did. And they did, yeah. Well, it was. I think especially in that time, a period that we all went to high school, you had to find your identity and your identity would all, like, you were like this kind of kid or like you were saying before, like a class rock kid or a uh, emo kid or whatever. And then you stuck to that. It was kind of tribal. Like mm-hmm. there was, and yeah. I don't know if it's so tribal anymore. It doesn't feel like i'm sure it is to a certain extent like it always kind of will be but in our time it was tribal it's like we like this thing and we don't like that we, we make fun of pop music we make fun of country music right. rap music like we like rock music like this is what it really is it's almost like uh, uh christianity right like uh, yeah. the catholics and lutherans going at or whatever you know it's like it's so silly at the end of the day it's all you know it's all jesus right so at the end of the day it's all guitars and so but i remember looking down on certain music that I go today and go, oh, wow, that's great. Like Phoebe Bridgers, for example. Like she is born from the bright eyes kind of emo vein that I did not identify with at that time. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then have suddenly gone back and said, oh, you know what? I should give bright eyes a shot. You know, I should give these other groups a shot. I was talking to a friend about Phoebe Bridgers the other day and he was just like, I, I just don't like her. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And I was trying to get, cause I love her and I was trying to get out, out like, why is it that you don't like her? I was like, did, well, I was like, well, did you like bright eyes? Did you like death cab? Did you like these things? And he was like, well, no, he's like, so part of me that just wants to like make fun of Phoebe Bridgers. And I was like, that's the, we went to high school <laughs> in the mid two thousands thing coming out that music like that. You, he was a, classic rock kid he was like you probably you and your friends probably made fun of the kids at that table for liking that wussy shit and now everyone in the world is telling you you have to like phoebe bridgers and you're like wait i thought that i wasn't supposed to like it because of high school because of the rules the rules are the rules changing Uh, it turns out childhood trauma really does follow you into adulthood i mean this is just me talking to my ass but i imagine that in high school now, I wonder if it's just like there's one tribe and you're a music kid. Like you're kind of a music nerd. Oh, and Because it, it feels to me like if you're like a music nerd – like I um, hired this kid who's um, six, seven years younger than me. And he – coming up, it seemed to him like he was like a hip-hop nerd and he loved the national in the same accord and he loved Death Grips and whatever the – hell else like elder statesman of gen z or whatever like like Mm -hmm. all that stuff and it seems sort of like maybe that's a thing but i imagine that music kids are different than theater kids or different than jocks (laughs) or whatever you know i guess i've had limited interactions with some of the students my wife works is at a school and i i've talked to them about music because i'm interested in what kids are listening to these days and a lot of it was more uh based around like who do you know like it felt like i had to prove my worth 
to them more so than what I'm listening to. And it was like, have you heard of this? What are some you know, rap artists that you do listen to. And I would name some and they'd go, I've never heard of them. And that would make me feel bad and old. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't so much like, oh, you listen to this thing. I don't respect you because you don't, li- you, you listen to this thing. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, a, you know, as a suburban kid and specifically a suburban cis white kid, you know, everybody, you were either someone who hated rap and country or somebody who tried to hate everything else other than either rap or country. And, and I, I, like there were these weird boxes that you were put in and yeah, yeah it's, it's strange. Totally. I'm glad that most of that is worked out of me. I feel like I'm sure there's still some in there, but it's, you know, you're right. It's something I'm, I think uh, is less prominent in high schools these days. I don't know, though, if anybody is out there in high school listening, let us know if that's true or not. I'm very curious. Yeah. But James, we didn't hear what your what your thing was in middle school, high school going. Into uh, I lived pretty vicariously through Paul. I wanted to be cool and like my cooler older brother who listened to indie rock so in high school i would listen to everything he was listening to and in middle school i was listening to everything he was listening to in high school so there's a lot of that i mean there's way less blink 182 and way more smash mouth (laughs) in there but you took some divergences james you took a, a grunge divergence yeah um friends of mine really pushed the grunge stuff on me not pushed it on me, but like presented it to me in a way that made me really interested in it. And, hmm. um, and so I really kind of latched on to smashing pumpkins and, yeah. and, uh, and stone temple pilots specifically. And those two had a huge impact on me in high school. But the, the problem with those is that they weren't producing much new music. So in terms of what was culturally, relevant to my age group they were not and you know i was listening to nine inch nails but like you know you were just a kid who listened to nine inch nails if that's the case but you it wasn't like a community really as much as something that was coming out with the exception of smashing pumpkins putting out some albums you know tail end of high school i think they put out an album in 2007 called zeitgeist go figure wasn't that the corgan solo stuff era no that was zwan oh zwan Zwan came out in (laughs) i want to say 2004 so i guess i was in high school then but zwan was fine Uh, it's i mean i liked billy corgan at the time i think he's 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 good he's got got, he's got a good streak but you got matt sweeney in that band right yeah yeah that's cool it's 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 got moments, but yeah, the the grunge stuff was was way less of a community and more just a thing I was listening to at the time. Uh, I mean, you had what Velvet Revolver was still putting out yeah. music mm-hmm. at the time, but I didn't like Velvet Revolver. I wanted sure. to so desperately. I, I felt but, the same way. I think I got that <laughs> CD and I was like, I am gonna like this. And I was like, How'd you feel about Audio Slave? I didn't take the dive. Yeah, I didn't do it. Did you ever grunge it up? Did you ever? <laughs> in my time, I think I was a rock fan, but I was against all of that stuff. I've de- That's fair. No, <laughs> I, I, I determined myself as being like, I don't like these things. Yeah. Which is actually funny about the Mars Volta, who I would say is like in my top five favorite bands ever, because they had a big rock radio hit and were kind of lumped in 
with a bunch of that, but they came from the punk thing. And mm-hmm. then, if, and then if you like bought one of their records, you get 13 minutes of ambient noise and them <laughs> sampling uh, frogs from Central America. And we're like, oh, which to me, like when I heard that stuff, was what like sh- started to shape me as a art lover and uh, consumer. That band is was just like really influential on how I think about art and became like a, a huge fan. Um, but it's just so funny because it's like they're kind of next. They toured with System of a Down, yeah, um, and A Perfect Circle and stuff. So they were like in that thing, which had, features James Eha of Smashing Pumpkins. But like, uh, it's weird that you say like you were trained to hate that kind of genre or people yeah. who listen to that. Like, I had that experience with bright eyes and yeah. like Regina Spector and a oh. couple of those, like there's, there's some really very avant-garde music. I hung out with art kids a lot of the time. And a lot of the art kids loved bright eyes yeah. and loved death cab and loved all of these, you know, kind of sadder stuff. And I remember, I think my moment of separation was when Paul played me some Regina music, Regina Spector. And I was like, Oh no, this is good. And it really was confusing because I wanted to hate it, but I, I liked it. And I, I was a closeted Regina Spector fan for a while. And then eventually came out as like, this is great. Yeah. And then I, I'm trying to work myself into Connor Oberst's library. I really got to dip my toe into that. Cause that was stuff I hated. I never loved nobody fully. Always one foot on the ground. Yeah, I would definitely, definitely say at some point I was like, wait a minute, Rage Against the Machine is like one of the best rock bands. Like in in high school, I was just like, these riffs are undeniably like the best ever. And I remember like, like then like liking Black Sabbath and, <laughs> and, and I was like, wait, but that's what those bands like, but this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden the rules start to not make as much sense as you thought they did. Yeah, Battle for Los Angeles came out in 2001, I think, something like that, maybe 2000. And I was not listening to a lot of that at the time. But when I got that album, I was like, oh, wow, what is this world? And so I, yeah. I dabbled a little, you know, and I had a, my good friend Mike was another classic rock kid. But then he took a right turn into Metallica and... Mm. 80s 90s metal and then gotten into that world a little bit but i just like my indie lo- indie rock ladies yeah. like i was just hanging out with all those you know my give me my jenny lewis give me my metric give me all of those those are <laughs> well i have two things to say on this but indie rock specifically i don't know if i mentioned this to you last time paul but i went to college and went to the college radio station and they were kind of talking about like animal collective and stuff and they were talking about indie rock and i, I think at that point I had never heard the term indie rock. This is like 2007 or eight, mm-hmm. yeah. which doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> for some reason, my high school and the, the internet wasn't so big and just like there were no indie kids at my high school. So yeah. I didn't even know it existed in, until like 2008 or nine. That's at that wild. time, I think it was 
exclusively called alternative rock. No, I, like, I, no, it was known. There was indie. I think I remember. I, I think it was still. It was starting to happen because iTunes wanted to categorize it. Right. <laughs> that's that's how I remember it. Is how iTunes wanted. It, it to was at it. the oh, same right. time that the classification of hipster came about because I remember the first time I was called a hipster, I was walking into a comic book store in. 2006 and i had green converse on and i was called a hipster and i was i was like what really (laughs) (laughs) but i remember being called one and thinking am i though maybe i don't know but it was that it was all part of that wave that cultural wave yeah when i think about moving on indie rock comes to me later in college and then i was kind of like oh i think this is really what I've been sort of looking for okay. the whole time. I heard like dirty projectors for the first time and I was like, oh, this is like everything that I like about music. Like someone's starting to do it. And like that whole wave was really cool. And then I got really into that. My next four year chunk, which would be like the four year post-college chunk. Oh yeah. That's an important chunk right there. Yeah. It was just <laughs> all about indie rock. I think mostly. Did Jack stuff ever sneak its way in there in any of your permutations? Um, sort of, I, it was, he was like one of the guys that I was always like, this is rad. And I, I feel like I was at the wrong four year chunk. Like, I feel like if I was your age, Paul, and like, I'm going to college and, and taking elephant with me. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I would have loved that. Or like white blood cells comes out right as I'm like 16 or something. That would have been so like, I kind of almost wish that happened, but that said, like, I always had friends who were into, I checked out, um, like the dead weather when it came out, like I got the record. There was a live Bonnaroo video of the Tours doing Salute Your Solution. Is that yeah. the name of the song? That's the song. Yeah. I remember just being like, that is one of the coolest live performances I've ever seen. Cause it's like, this is like a punk rock band, but they're like a classic rock band at the same time. Like right. you can do that. And so I've always really admired, I've always kept up too. And I think the older I've gotten, the more I've like really started to actually appreciate it. whole reissue campaign actually kind of caught my attention i went back and started listening chronologically i listened to that not to mention other podcasts but the podcast they they made and put out about the uh, oh, first yeah. records oh striped yeah yeah striped. yeah yeah we had the we had the host of that on and we, we talked to him a bit too yeah i was like i'm not even the hugest i'm not even like would even consider myself like a big white stripes fan but i was like this is one of the best music podcasts um <laughs> Although there would be, there were things in there, obviously I wish they would cover that they didn't, but uh, Mm -hmm. it gave me a whole new appreciation for those records and Jack. I'm going to ask you a controversial question. Now you're on a, you're on a 
Third Man Records history program yeah. right now. But I want you to be honest. Uh-huh. Was there a time when you were like, I want nothing to do with anything about that guy? <laughs> um, <laughs> we talk about segmenting people into boxes. No, I was always intrigued. I remember in college, I, I never, well, so like in the morning when I would watch, when I talk about that period of me trying to figure out music on my own when I moved to a new city and I was 14 and I'm watching Fuse and MTV, it was clear that like when they would play like the hardest button to button or like one of those videos, I'd be like, okay, this band is clearly better than almost everything else that is being played, but yet it's not quite for me. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. like I even I watched the uh, the documentary. What's it called? The Great Northern. Uh, oh, Great White Northern Lights. Under yeah. Great White Northern Lights. Yeah. I watched that in college. Like some my friend did a screening, and I was like, "Whoa, that's a really great movie uh, band doc." But it never quite hit me. I think as he went on and started doing increasingly ludicrous things, it just <laughs> endeared me more and more to him. Yeah. I remember a friend went to see him at Radio City, and the crowd was just dead. Ah, yeah. yeah. We were there the second night of that the, after, the night he, after, after yeah. he went off without an encore Yeah, caused the ruckus. He, he was a little upset. <laughs> Someone told me he walked off after like five or six songs and it, said, I'm done. It wasn't that. No. It, he played, a, I think, a full set, but he didn't come back on for an encore because oh. he was- Well, he, I loved that. I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> like, that's- And like, I'm like, that not that why you like Jack White? Because like, he yeah. doesn't- The White Stripes go up there without a set list. And all these things, every time I would hear a new piece of information, I would like them more. (laughs) And then when Ikey was in the band, I was like, whoa, Ikey joined the band? And then he's touring with two bands and then would decide that day which band he was going to. And all these things were so just outrageous that I, I was like, I've just, I love all of that. Every band I've been in, we always been the goal to try to get away from having a set list so that it, it really, there's no safety net on the stage. If you don't have a safety net on the stage, you don't know what you're going to do next. If you're playing like that, that's very, very dangerous. But if, if you're fine with that sort of danger, if it pushes you, it, and it pushes me, it pushes me to, to, to make the next move, it changes everything. You know, if you have a set list written on the ground and you know, okay, in three songs we're going to be done, your mindset's totally different than if you have no idea. Maybe we want to play seven more songs. It's a totally different mindset to live in. I'd rather live like that. That mindset may shed some light on what happened later that night. Jack left the stage after playing just 45 minutes with no encore. Fans stayed inside for half an hour cheering for Jack to return to the stage, but alas, eventually the house lights came back on and ushers told the audience to leave. Some say he was upset with the sound quality in the venue. Others, that he got into an argument with a shirtless man in the front row. Or White may have just been underwhelmed by the audience in general. He reportedly said at one point, Jesus Christ, am I at an NPR convention? Things went much better Sunday night when Jack played a full 90-minute set, including four-song encore. He didn't mention the previous night's controversy, but he seemed to be in much better spirits, and everyone went home satisfied. It's the right kind of gimmicky. Like, it's the stuff that seems artistically interesting, mm-hmm. where it's, it's not just there to sell records. It's there to spark some kind of joy in this strange man from Detroit. <laughs> and I really do appreciate that sort of – like, the new stuff, he put out a teaser for a possible new album. And so the entire – like, every fan forum is trying to figure out why he's doing it. And it's just – 
he posted some lyrics with some backwards gibberish, or at least it sounded like gibberish, and then people started playing it backwards, and it's just backwards talk of him saying, I have to make a better peanut butter. And <laughs> and everybody's like, what are you doing, and how, and why? And everyone's super engaged. Even if they don't love it, they're, like, engaged in it. And I think that kind of engagement is, is why we like. Yeah, I love it, too. I think he gets mischaracterized some. T- well, as a curmudgeon of, of some sorts, I feel like in the last couple of years, some people like to paint him as that. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think he's probably – there's bad pull quotes, but you could go through Adventure Guys and paint him in a bad light <laughs> if you wanted. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But I think that it seems that he's operating of, out of a place of just trying mm. to maintain that – fandom and excitement and be like because like i think that if you spend too much time thinking about the stuff that's not the awesome shit that like you got into this for then you can just go down a bad road and yeah um i feel like he's consciously at every turn been like what do i do to keep myself in this place and it's cool because it seems to be positively reinforced like these actions and the things that he does provide work that people love even more like the more he goes down these roads he's creating work that people like so it's like a positive reinforcement situation it's kind of like a best case scenario for someone like that versus the person who you know makes a commercial sounding record that kind of sacrifices what they're about and then that's what people like and it throws you into a crisis and you're trying to do that or he's not doing that like he doesn't like co-write with people right like he doesn't occasionally he does i mean with with the raconteurs he co-writes oh, right. with yeah, yeah, benson yeah. but he's not like okay i need a single for my new jack white soul record so i'm gonna bring in x yeah producer no. and songwriter yeah. like he brought in for his last album he brought in bands to jam with him to come up with songs but well, it wasn't fun. like co-writing lyrical content or anything like that. It's not like where Antonov's on all the credits or anything like that. Even though I don't, I am not one of those people that thinks less of an artist for doing that. I know there are. And and in fact, it's something that I used to get into some debates with Ryan about because at the end of the day, it is kind of just all creativity. And if the artist is involved in crafting the song, then sometimes I think it's maybe just, and maybe you can speak to this more accurately, but I think it's just a way of crediting things a bit more fairly, you know, like as if we were really going to get into it, like you would credit Mal Evans and George Harrison and all these people on Lennon McCartney songs, but they didn't. So like, I'm one of those, right. people, I don't necessarily look at that and go, well, they didn't actually write it. Well, they did. You know, I mean, I think, you know, in the case of a lot of these new artists, when you see that, it's just because another artist or producer contributed something integral to the track. And to speak to the credit thing, Jack is very clear about when somebody does help on like a solo song that does come to mind is um, Machine Gun Silhouette. Oh, yeah. uh, In which the lyrical content was pulled right from an email with his poster designer, Rob Jones. And he just pulled the entire email and wrote a song around it. And he credits like Rob Jones as, as a writer on that song. So yeah. there are instances where it does happen. I wore a shirt one day with a machine gun silhouette sporting the rainbow clip. I had this gun guy staring at me, wondering where I got it, and he just about flipped over it. I don't know his name, yeah, but just the same, he buys a literal mountain of death. And I lost five or six bidding wars against him, yeah, until I had no money left. I said, until I had no money left. Yeah, until I had no money left. 
And to speak to the curmudgeon aspect, I think he's painted that way, like you said, quite often. But I think he is a very he's not necessarily a serious man, but he's a, he's someone who is who s- thinks that whatever you're doing, if you like it, you should throw yourself 100 percent into it. And if you're not putting your whole self into what you're doing, what's the point of doing it? Yeah. And I think that gets him into trouble. <laughs> so like with an audience, if the audience isn't putting their like a hundred percent into being there to experience the show, then why are they there? Right. Uh, that makes sense. Another thing that really endeared me was uh, when they did that, the white stripes did that week on Conan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Conan was another big thing. I didn't even think about until like I loved Conan. I still do. But yeah. in high school, and then they, Comedy Central started re-airing uh, mm-hmm. those. I was like, oh, man, I've been like waiting. This is like another thing that I've been looking for. Him and John Stewart were the only two I ever saw in New York when I when oh, went to school nice. there. But I did, I did see a Conan, and it was awesome. Yeah. He's he's incredible because he, like Jack, knows what he's doing, and he's done the homework. And I think that's uh, also to just speak to what James was saying. It's like. I think Jack's the type of person that respects when somebody did the homework and it's not necessarily a prerequisite for a lot of kids who just want to listen to music. <laughs> I think he expects yeah. more from people sometimes and that's what gets him into trouble. But I have a question. I, this just came up before when we were talking about ska, but it w- applies to, to Jack in this whole universe as well. There's a thing about ska. It, okay. People hate ska. Most people hate it. It is like one of the last genres. We're talking about all these boxes of things you're like, it's one of the last boxes that everyone just makes fun of and like punches. In the last couple of weeks, actually, there's been this sort of like in the music writer community, like, is Ska going to have a revival? Like, is it going to come back? I don't know about that. Like, it's like people, it's one of the last uncovered or unturned stones that people I think can write about. But I welcome a Scott comeback because I, I love it. Eric Dano, on my the co-host of Adventure Guys, is in one of the active touring ska bands called the Holophonics, which are great. But still to say, a lot of people hate it, right? I played with the, the Holophonics, and my girlfriend at the time, I was like, have you listened to the Holophonics? She's like, no, I'm not going to listen. I was like, well, I'm going on tour with them for a week. I, I filled in on bass. And she's like, yeah, I, I just like, you know... I don't like ska, so I, but I don't want to like. So I'm just not. It's like it's like literally that level. People despise it, but there's a lot to love about ska. It's a very social music. It's a dance music, which a lot of other rock music. You go there and you skank and you dance. It's social, and the, you fall in love with that music having gone to the show and had an experience. And it's like so fun, and that's why people I think like it and continue to like it. I'm driving to is that people don't like it yet I I'm, I say okay I hear you I hear why you don't like it I maintain that I still like it even though I'm a 32 year old man 
And I know that this is like a music for 13 year olds who hear, who think about mozzarella sticks or whatever yeah, that meme nice. is. It, it is a funny meme. And, but, uh, <laughs> and, but, 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 but there's something about the fandom where I, I hold myself and I know that people are kind of against it, but it makes it a, a bit more special to me when people are mean about the thing. And then I get yeah. sort of it, like, it, it kind of makes it even more special. Like I have to stick up for it or really go in my head and go, you know what? I still like it. I hear those points and I still like it. I don't, does that ever happen to you? Not even with Jack, but or other fandoms. hundred yeah. percent. Specifically with Jack, if I go to, I mean, YouTube comments are trash, but if you go to any YouTube comments on any Jack solo stuff or specifically you hear a lot of Johnny Depp. Yeah. I mean, Johnny you hear Johnny the same Depp. five jokes and it, I actually actively look for him, not to reply to him, but just to be like, that's funny because you're just completely putting this into a box that you, you know, you've prejudged. I kind of get a kick out of that happening and it does make me enjoy being the the person to be like, no, I get, I get what he's doing and you don't. And to speak to your point about Sky, I think Scott requires some, a Sherpa. Yeah, I think you need a Sky Sherpa to carry you across oh, the, yeah. the, the border because I needed it with the Aquabats. Sure. The Aquabats oh, yeah. got me to really enjoy it. And not only that, Sublime, like my wife is actually huge into Scott and she's like really into Sublime and, and that... Sublime kind of blurs the line, and I think that that helps. Same with the Aquabats, but um, nice. I like "Caress Me Down." That's a nice song about a BJ. <laughs> <laughs> the Aquabats show was yeah. crazy. It was all ages, and uh, everybody yeah. was skanking. And then a kid got kicked, and then the entire show stopped, and everyone wanted to make sure the kid was okay. And it was very wholesome, and I enjoyed it very much. So I love that. Yeah. But there's something right. There's something about like when people are yeah. attack your fandom, it fortifies you against the world. Like you know. I'm going to take this into a weird direction before I take it back to a direction that I think will be a good one. <laughs> but I think that there is an actual, like, and I'm no sociologist. Again, I have a degree in cartooning. <laughs> but I think that's that's a thing. Like, that's not just a music thing. Like, that's a thing. And I think that's where you get, because I felt that too. I felt that exact same pull. And I had the ska version as well, even though I, I dabbled. And like we were saying, like, I love No Doubt when I was a kid. And that's not real. It's more of like a pop sort of thing. But there was some kids I knew that liked ska. And then I permanently associated those kids with ska. And I was like, well, I reject those kids. Therefore, I yeah. reject ska, which is sure. another side of the sociological kind of thing. But I think that's where you get like, like a lot of political division, too, yeah. is like, the idea that somebody else doesn't like it makes you want it and like it harder. It's like I, I look at um, every day. Uh, uh, yeah, probably every day. It's not a healthy thing to do, but I do I do like my headline check and I look at the CNN headlines and then I look at the Fox News headlines and I see that the Fox News headline, whatever it is, is usually something CNN was angry about that Fox is like, this is fucking sweet. And then the CNN headline is usually like something that – Fox is angry about Fox is like this is sweet and now I'm not saying that both of those sides are equal at all but what I'm saying is I think there is something about like a an enjoyment that's troll right it's a troll kind of thing that we all kind of fall into a little bit I think I Um, I think so too I, I I was thinking about that as I was saying it I was like I sound like a, you know, a Trump supporter. <laughs> no, no, but are... I wasn't trying to see. That's why I said I was going to turn this in an odd direction because that's sure. what it sounds like I'm accusing you of, which I am not. But what no, I'm no, saying. No, 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 no. But, but that, but I was like, oh, that's similar thought patterns. Right. Like Rise of the Sky or uh, Last, Jedi. Uh, uh, Last yeah. Jedi. Yeah. I loved that movie because people hated it. And that's, that, yeah. that's on me. 
That's on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about a fun-loving, uh, like, pop-punk subgenre, right. third-wave ska. Let's get into know. the anti-vax movement. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's ah. talk about vaccines. There are many fine people on both no. sides. Not true. Um, um, <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to cover, and and this has been so much fun, and I, and I don't want to cut off the conversation, but I'm, I'm very curious to hear your perspective on this. So we talked a lot about yeah. fandoms today and the development of those fandoms. Now, as somebody who is on the other side, somebody who's actively marketing music to people. Sure. Trying to push hot singles in your area. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you cultivate or think about the cultivation of fandom? And do you think of it in terms of those cycles? Do you look at a four-year chunk of time and go, this is somebody's college. Who are we making this for? Is this somebody's high school? Who are we making this for? Is that something that enters your mind? Because I'm sure that enters your marketing brain, but I, yeah. I wonder how that is in relation to music specifically. It, it enters my brain, but I think it's that's a very cool way to frame things that I don't do normally or we don't talk about. Taking a larger four-year view, you know, the, I think the truth about marketing music is that it's a volatile medium that it's not like you're selling, you know, like a good that you can manufacture and then just put out and then you can like really perfectly time it and like plan XXXXX steps ahead because there's so much like things that can change and come in and come out and raw emotion and the unpredictability about the reception of the product. What's really crazy, I think these days, and you can even see it, I wish I had a really good example for this, but it happens, I think, with lots of artists where you think you know what the single is, right? In the old days, you'd pick the single. And nowadays, like, you can pick the single and think you're working the single. And then six months later, an album track just, like, (laughs) totally catches fire and is outperforming your single, which makes things difficult in a sort of traditional marketing way that things would have happened in the high school times we're talking about right. it makes things a little bit different although some we do still do pick singles and look at it and, and use all those things to our advantage i think what i think about a lot is and i'm glad i think that this also may have changed from different points in the music industry that somebody had my job might have thought about this differently but just how the musical landscape has changed i do think about you know, a lot of the things that we were talking about today and thinking about, well, at the end of the day, what you really want is to have engaged diehard fans, right? It sounds simple, but you want people to really like the thing, especially in a streaming economy, which you're getting paid the more people listen to it. So the more people actually enjoy something or enjoy more of the album, the more money you make if you're putting it in these brash terms. So Rather than just convincing people you need to hear this song, this song you hear on the radio, you need to go buy it. There's an aspect of marketing songs in this, but marketing the artist as like a whole thing. Yeah. Like Jack has done so masterfully and organically in his career. And I think, I mean, clear, you guys could tell me more, but like a lot of it stems from him and his things. And I think in the, the way that it goes with most artists is that like the great ones are generating a lot of set ideas and then where I come from is to how to facilitate them or prioritize them and make them happen and come out into the world. But I definitely think of like, what are, and everyone in my company, we all think about this and talk and bands and managers and stuff is like, how do we cultivate a fandom? Mm -hmm. Why don't we do things that are worth people nerding out about? 
Yeah. Why don't we make something that you can actually sink your teeth into? Like if we're going to make a music video, can we connect these music videos? Can they live in a, a same universe? Can we tease the fourth music video and the first one? Can we do things to like interconnect this and, and create this thing where you're like, oh, shit, like I love like you get to fall into a world yeah. and what are the tools that we have that we can use to like cultivate a fandom, like a discord or these different things. And, and then like, you know, I think that's where a lot of my thing comes in. It's like, okay, like what are the tools at our disposal right now and how do we exploit them to further create this living, breathing fan thing? You're, you're creating a brand kind of, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's ultimately cult of personality at the base of it all. I, I would assume because when you talk about it's really interesting you said that you're not just marketing a single anymore you're marketing a person's aura almost like a whole yeah. body of work and then you get streaming metrics to kind of point you maybe in the right direction or if a single it's right. maybe one of the advantages of working today that you didn't have yeah. 20 years ago is now like if the single fails you have active metrics telling you which track from the album is working you know I think a lot of that like you said, cult of personality, Paul, that stems from, if you look at extremely popular bands, at least from a 31-year-old's perspective of what's popular now, your Little Nas X and Billie Eilish and, and Phoebe Bridgers, they all carry that similar to Jack White kind of mystery to them, something that makes you want to dig deeper and, and an eccentricity yeah. to it, like Lady Gaga, who also mm -hmm. had that going on when we were in high school. You know, there's a mystery, there's a I guess it was college, but there's something that makes you want to dig further and deeper into it. And I think that's, that's gotta be a challenge to come up with it. If, if a band or a personality doesn't have that going in, it's gotta be tough. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's definitely something we all probably get excited about or look for is like when there's artists that sort of have this proven concept or the thing in their head and it's like, Oh, we can work with that. There's a right. guy on our label named Oliver tree who is like, it's sort of a character. He has a bowl cut and he rides scooters and he wears this outrageous, like a windbreaker. And he's developed this whole character and world and personality. I mean, sign me up. I'm already like, there. I've, like <laughs> that reminds me of Pokey Lafarge. I'm good. I'm wanting. Yeah. It's like, it's like sort of, it's sort of meme culture, but it's, it's like, but he's using it in this sort of, it, to uh, appeal to kids who like memes. But then there's also this layer of, postmodern ironic detachment where it's like a commentary on meme culture it's a very interesting project but... baby to control and i'ma feed you to the wolves when you get nasty back at me but baby don't distract me i'm a goner i lost the like why the if you have those tools, it's there mm -hmm. and it's great. And I think like you know, look at look at like Jack and it's like Jack White. Like I probably heard the a White Stripes song like the same day I heard like a Wolf Mother song, mm -hmm. and the Wolf Mother song may have even like charted higher and was like yeah. bigger. But the, now look where we are, the staying it's power. Like, yeah, because when right. Greta Van Fleet comes to mind when you when you bring up Wolf Mother and it it, it had a mm -hmm. high spike yes. in the beginning and then. It has it's a one note sort of thing, and I think Wolf Mother tried to make it work more so than Greta. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't I liked... seen anything out of Greta Van Fleet since the first album, but 
yeah, they're going in a slightly different direction. I think what we're talking about, I think ultimately is storytelling and you're telling a story with what you're wearing, with what your videos look like, what your album covers look like. And then once you tell that story, then the songs can either hit you or not. But the genre you work in tells you a story. I mean, oftentimes that's what it takes for me to get into an artist. Like I didn't really understand Phoebe Bridgers until I saw that Kyoto video. And I saw immediately, I was told a story. This is a a young girl who plays guitar. She has a skeleton shirt on. She's able to laugh at herself, but she's also kind of sad. Yeah. That told me all I need to know about Phoebe Bridgers right there in that video. And it's a story, whether or not that that's actually her, that's what she chose or whoever was around her chose to tell me about her. Same thing with Billie Eilish. I wasn't all the way sold on Billie Eilish. Then I saw that bad guy video and I was like, she is a rock and roll star. Okay. She's got the scooter. She's poking fun at herself and poking fun at, and then it it continues to tell you that story. And it's just, I guess, ultimately a way of how do you cultivate that is the question, I suppose. Totally. And the story, and I I think probably something I learned in marketing school to bring us back to the beginning is like, you need to hit somebody over the head with your product X many times before they check it out. Mm -hmm. And so you have to like, you know, that's just like a basic part of marketing is like getting your product in front of people. But then like when you're in front of people, what are you saying? What are they getting when that from the brief part? Can we keep it consistent? If the thing that you want to show them is that much more interesting, it'll get shown to people in all these other avenues because it's worth talking about or worth sharing. And then now we're in business. I did want to just bring it back to what we were talking about before too with the fandoms and this this cycle and we were talking about with the four years and everything. It's definitely interesting how I think four years is a long time. And I think you can kind of feel it when people take four years off, right? Yep. Like, you could feel it. T- Dak took a four-year break, yeah. Yeah, and this St. Vincent, I mean, now the records come out since we talked. Like, you can, It kind of feels a little different from does. the the last time and it it's does. even hard to even like sort of put into words but being a music fan you know what that means the way you feel about it the way the public seems to feel about it the way the record sounds the way like the energy just surrounding the artist which is a really intangible funny thing to talk about but feels real to me is it expectation though too because like jack took a four-year break and then everyone dogpiled on boarding house reach Annie took a four-year break, and then everyone dogpiled on her father's jail situation. You know, like, is the anticipation and then the popping of that, is that enough time for people to sharpen their knives? Do you have to just keep the, do you have to keep the cycle going to to stop that? Maybe. I I also think that there's there's something in here about this was something that's cool. We have now moved on. And we want to like show that. We want to show you. We want to tell you. <laughs> Wait, you. Everyone told us that we had to like Saint Vincent like four or five years ago. Like this was the cool thing. Now, you know what? She's been gone. It's not the relevant thing. She's not the the top of the dog pile. Like she, that like where Phoebe Bridgers is now. So we get to kind of dunk on it and be like, she was never good in the first place or something. Like it's, it's some sort of like weird high school. It's thing is, is four years is a huge chunk of time for somebody who's younger and a pretty minute time for somebody who's older. I mean, four years is a quarter of 
somebody who's 12 it's a quarter of their life whereas four years for me did i do the math right on that i don't know i think it's a third of their life well if Um, you're 16 if you're 16 it's a quarter thank you i i had an illustration degree it's again yeah illustration (laughs) can't emphasize that yeah no let's let's really drive that home but um the but like (laughs) four years for me is such a a smaller fraction i'm not even gonna try but like music tends to be driven by youth culture and people move on quicker when they're younger and it's if you go back to what you what you're saying with meme culture meme culture lasts days at most usually and Mm -hmm. things just happen so much faster in that kind of world and so yeah four years is is a long time to be missing it's a whole presidency i mean not to go back to politics but like things change the world changes in four years and that's image too that's the same kind of stuff we're talking about that's creating image that's marketing i mean really all of it is marketing so again nick i can't emphasize this enough you did the smart thing (laughs) (laughs) yes because actually all of life is marketing and that's something i learned from ryan brady you could tell me that four out of 16 is a quarter and i could tell you that it's not (laughs) yeah i mean i think you're right about music being driven a lot by youth culture and only more increasingly due to how the streaming economy is set up because young people have far more time in their hands to listen to the shit out of the new little Nas X song while a bunch of 30 year olds are going to listen to the St. Vincent album a couple times over the course of the week it comes yeah. out, you know? Whereas like yeah. a 16 year old is just going to have their shit on loop. The know? antithesis um, to it, and, and I don't know if this detracts yeah. or, or adds to my point, is that kids have way more access now with streaming to every single thing that's available to them. So the pool of music is billions of songs as opposed to when we had radio or whatever, or LimeWire for us, I guess it was billions, but like we didn't care. We wanted to find a specific thing. Music for kids is timeless now more so than it ever has been. So they're listening to things in the same context that they would be listening to other things. So like, stuff from the 70s is this is contextually being played in the same way in the same fashion as stuff from the the 2000s or or now totally now i do want to bring up two artists that i think are two of the most impactful artists of the last decade and that had long gaps but yet seem to have pulled it off would be um frank ocean Mm -hmm. and tame impala now tame impala i would guess i would say the new record it did good and they're still playing these gigantic places it's great but from lonerism comes out in 2012 and currents comes out in 2015 that's a three-year break i think it was all more than three years but i guess over the course of that cycle it just like grew and they're maybe just they were lucky in how the music traveled and the tastes of the popular culture and that the three years actually was a good amount of time to let everything marinate and then they rode that album currents for like four years essentially Hmm. and they put out singles they put singles in like earlier so it was like a huge like four-year cycle but maybe just due to how the music is moving through the culture at a certain time like it was just so well timed also a fairly quiet moment in rock history where you could make a lot of noise and get noticed i think Uh, just to speak in broad generalities i never did the tame impala trip at all but i did do the frank ocean trip and that's the indie hip-hop trip that you know the aesop rocks and mf doom and all these cats are doing that stuff i really dug so tell me a bit about the the frank ocean frank ocean well so frank ocean comes out 
with Channel Orange in 2012. Obviously, goes it's a huge album. He's on SNL with John Mayer. He has this legendarily weird Grammy performance mm-hmm. um, and does really well. And then kind of disappears for a few years and not doesn't perform. No one hears from him. And then he comes back with this whole endless thing where he's building a staircase. Did you guys, did you hear about any of this? Basically he he hadn't been around in forever and he's like, I'm going to put out an album next week and it's going to be an Apple exclusive. And he puts it out and it's a visual album of him building a staircase with an hour or like a whole album's worth of music. And it was called endless. And it comes out. It's only available on Apple. It's only a visual album. So nobody, you can't you can't listen to it like a normal album or anything, and it comes out on I think on Island Def Jam, and then the next week he puts out Blonde as a self released album, and he basically pulled this whole thing where he was able to get out of his record contract by delivering Endless as the last album of his contract, and then the next week releases the real album. <laughs> they which must is have Blonde. been pissed. <laughs> must have been pissed. Yeah. yeah. Uh- the way every day goes every time we've no control if the sky is pink and white if the ground is black and yellow it's the same way you showed me nod my head don't close my eyes halfway on the slow move it's the same way you showed me but the thing is is like it was like the most talked about anticipated record and not just among music writers but the thing streams like crazy and it still does and i think there's a uh, you can really hear his influence on billy eilish mm-hmm. and a lot of the the minimalist a lot, a lot of people i think he's like one of the most influential artists of our time anderson pock you can hear it on uh, all that evolution of of indie rap it's all over the totally place. and he and he and he kept putting out some singles afterwards he only played four shows i think on the blonde cycle he played at panorama i saw him in fyf and the show was directed by spike jones and it was played on these massive screams like a spike jones directed concert movie and then that was it four shows doesn't really make any music videos does a couple of like apple itunes radio shows now he hasn't done and he hasn't done shit in years now. That came out in, so it's been five years. But to this day, which is something I do want to point out, is that he still has, like, on Spotify right now, 15.8 million monthly listeners. Tyler, the creator, has put out, like, multiple records, toured arenas, was on the Grammys. He's got 11.6, 4 million less. Like, so I guess I'm just pointing out, I love Frank Ocean. He's incredibly <laughs> influential. But he's done, he's not, like, doing anything in the last bunch of years to keep him in the cultural consensus he doesn't do a lot but he does have the air of mystery Mm -hmm. and maybe the music is just that good and well timed to where everything is at that i guess it doesn't matter yeah (laughs) i don't know you can reach a certain level of craftsmanship where all the we're talking about is just set dressing and really when you boil it right down is the content there is what you're talking about and it's like the record, I guess Blonde was that good that <laughs> he didn't have to do shit before it. He barely promoted it. And yet it's streaming like a billion times, like, and it's influencing pop culture. I, I guess that's true. There is a cult of personality within the elusiveness. Yeah. yeah. He's missing an entire 
generation of college kids. Yeah. But I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of those kids are still listening to Blonde in their college dorm room. So maybe it's changing. Like what James was saying, the abundance of choice is perhaps altering that cycle. I mean, and he's an artist who's in his mid period, you know, he's yeah. not, he's what, he's got to be maybe 40, maybe if that. I think he's like 31 or something. Oh, okay. I think so he's, he's pretty younger. young. Yeah. He's only released two albums. I, I guess I would say he's an outlier. I don't know if I'm yeah, going to yeah. make the claim that he's a evidence of a larger cultural shift. It's just like, he is big enough that it's sitting there and you're sort of like, well, what do we do with that? <laughs> There's one band that reminds me a lot of that, which it became actually its own meme, which was the, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Avalanches as a oh, the techno group, the Avalanches. Yeah. They put out an album and it was this cult hit and it became progressively more and more popular. And it, it just reached this point where so many people loved this album. And then the, the Avalanches were like, all right, we're going to put out a second album. And they said that. And then 11 years goes by and then 12 years and then 13 and I think it's 16 years later they put out their second album but it became its own meme of the avalanches will never do it and eventually they did it but when they did it the mystery kind of plummeted like people weren't as interested anymore Mm. and the album didn't do nearly as good as it could have Frank Sinatra, Frankie, me boy, don't know. You have a perfect voice to sing Calypso. What did they say? Ah, Frankie Sinatra. Ah, Frank Sinatra. Frankie, me boy, don't know. You have a perfect voice to sing Calypso. What did they say? Ah, Frankie Sinatra. Ah, Frank Sinatra. Frankie, me boy, don't know. You have a perfect voice to sing Calypso. What did they say? Ah, Frankie Sinatra. I guess My Bloody Valentine is like a similarly legendary sort of gap. Right. If you wait too long, yeah, you kind of lose, I guess it's just like an age old thing. I guess you lose some sort of relevancy unless you're that good and that interesting and it matches up with what people want and you kind of luck out. But maybe, maybe the air of mystery and specialness keeps it special to people. Yeah. I think yeah. that that harkens back to what I was saying about the avalanches is people liked the mystery. Yeah. And once that mystery was done, uh, yeah. people were like, oh, okay. Um, I guess, I guess we'll move on. <laughs> well, speaking of connecting with people, Nick, this was wonderful. We had such a good time. I could talk to you for another seven hours because yeah. we only talked about guitar groups primarily today, but I think we touched on right at the end there, hip hop. And that's a whole other ball of wax. Cause the rules in the hip-hop world, which are now the dominant rules of pop music in this country specifically, have changed a lot of the ways a lot of these dynamics work. And I think my brain is still functioning in guitar group mode. But um, I think maybe that bears another conversation in the future because Jack has also dipped his toe in the world of hip-hop periodically. And you look at artists like Kanye West and Jay-Z and stuff and... That's a cult of personality. That's a sustained output over the course of years. But there's also periods where like, I'm going to retire. And then he doesn't. And then, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. There are gaps. It tends to be gaps. But uh, but anyway, in lieu of talking about all that stuff, which we should definitely do another day, Nick, is there anything you'd like to plug while you're here? A pl- should we plug Adventure Guys? Are there any artists you're repping right now that you want to get out there? Like who... Should people be listening to and how can they listen to you? Yeah, check out Adventure Guys. It's a podcast I do with my really good friend Eric Dano about Adventure Time. 
probably the, I'm going to say this, but our the best cartoon of all time. That's why I decided to make a whole podcast about it. But it's really fun. Start with the episode that Paul guessing on. We had a really fun time talking about season one episode. Perfect place to start. Check out, you know, I work with a couple of artists at Atlantic that I think are pretty great. One of them I would put up is called Arlie. It's like a great combination of classic influences of guitar pop groups like there's nods to the Beatles and Beach Boys in there, but they're very much forward-looking, forward-thinking, and they have half just put out some new music that I think is really fantastic guitar music for, for 2021, which I had been needing. It's when you came in, you said, sorry, I'm over. I said, you don't have to be sorry, I'll help you take care of that. I work with uh, Portugal the Man as well, who are just oh, nice. always fantastic. Yeah, um, who uh, famously called uh, Jack White that old guy from the White Stripes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was at that Lollapalooza, and they played right before him. And I was just sitting there. I was like, oh, next to their manager. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you like put that up there. He's like, haha, pretty funny, right? <laughs> I remember, it is. I remember when that came out and I was ready to be like, F- those guys. And then I heard Devil Just for Kicks now, whatever that song yeah. was. And I was like, oh, they're great. No, yeah. that's pretty funny. No, the, yeah, it's, a good, it's a good joke. <laughs> they did a good joke. Feel it still. Sorry. Feel, feel it, it still. still. They're also not like a, uh, they're not a bunch of spring chickens either. Which yeah, I think I, know. I was thinking that I was like yeah. kind of funny uh, too. The forums are split as to whether it's funny or not, and I think most people with oh, a okay. sense of humor will say it's yeah. very funny. Um, it's yeah, very funny, very very funny. Well, that's awesome. That's yeah. fantastic. And yeah, by the time this goes up, there'll be lots of new uh, podcast episodes of Adventure Guys to listen to, and we'd love to have you back on and talk a little bit more with us but nick this was amazing thank you so much yeah. for joining us today likewise if there's new music to talk about too i could bring a different perspective maybe yeah. as a yeah. as a different kind of jack white fan as i uh, went into on this podcast you know i do really admire i should just say i didn't say before but the record label and like everything that they've done and stood for in the the modern landscape and it's like kind of like a really cool like they've carved out this whole own space within the music industry that i think was a whole that maybe people didn't realize was there but for a lot of music fans really was so it's a great label it's really nice to get a perspective of a non-sycophant on this sort of thing. Like somebody yeah. who's, who, who respects the music and the stuff, but isn't like as down the rabbit hole as, as me and Paul are. So. We, we tend to lose perspective because we're, we're listening usually to everything they're putting out through one, whether it's just for our own sick pleasure or because something show some episode we're doing so we tend to lose perspective like what is actually connecting with people what isn't like i'm wearing a marco price shirt right now yeah and to me margo is one of the biggest most relevant artists that i can think of but she's another one that's carved out her section of the music world and dominates in that section we had silver synthetic on earlier this year and they're wonderful Third Man gave us Natalie Bergman this year, which we love. But again, we're never quite sure what level these artists are <laughs> oh, yeah. permeating, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think it just stands for something. Like kind of we were talking about, like it's it's true brand identity, mm. I think, that they have. And I mean, now they have also like one of the premier 
pressing plants uh, for vinyl. And uh, I love the whole live record series. I have a couple of those. And yeah, super cool. Yeah. I, I love Margot Price too. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. I was uh, told by the soda jerker guys once that, uh, you know, never trust anyone who doesn't like Margot Price. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I passed the test. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was great to be on. And you're welcome on Adventure Guys anytime you want. Um, yeah. Or maybe I'll, James, too. I, you're, you're welcome. Yeah, I appreciate it. James that. is an actual animator, so he might actually be a much better perspective than me on that <laughs> show. James, you just got finished with an animation job. Yeah. I just did a, a show for Adult Swim. But, oh, cool. Um, I can't say. It, there's an NDA on that, so I can't say much more. Than okay, it's fun. It was a. Uh, I was filling in for another animator who was on break and and did a, did like a month. Do you ever animate music videos? I have, do. You want to? I have in the past. James has animated some segments of our show actually, and put on our YouTube channel. So James has taken portions of our show and done some animations as well. Yeah, it's that's just like fun. What I do in in my off time. Yeah, I'm I'm an animator by trade solely corporate animator though like by trade today. james would be great he's also a cattle farmer by night and that's one thing they don't tell you and james has formed a bond with all of those cows and guess what he feeds them things to dinosaurs oh it's true um i'm ring bringing it on back i'm a goat rancher on an, uh, a small island off the coast of costa rica um, and kaminsky vision is this your your deal yes yes it is yeah that's my um oh, my illustration sweet. site i don't know if any we're keeping any of that last bit but nick thanks for coming on the show this is fun i was gonna say we should do it now hear this we should find it now we should do an album exchange nick because i think that, oh. that i would like to hear from you I, and i think i could use that ska sherpa actually in all oh. seriousness yeah well you know the the uh, way back when, when we had talked about doing a Now Hear This, Eric and I were like, if we did one together, we have to do an album that we both feel that strongly about. But also we should pick one that was like core to our friendship. And it was a like tangentially related ska album. Perfect. Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll force you to listen to some weird shit. We'll, I would love we'll do that. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll just force all you to listen to that Avalanche's first album. It's very good. I should do I'm, that. I was like, I know of them, but I do not. I never really like took the plunge. I should. Yeah. James helps feed because I have also a weird techno thing, which I know we didn't get into today either. Oh, but that's James interesting. Help me with that with avalanches and lemon jelly and all those, and I really got, I really appreciated that whimsical DJ rock indie thing. One last stray thought that I meant to say before, on the last episode about fandom. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was listening to that. What was the song that you opened with where Jack is like talking over himself playing guitar? That was him riffing at a concert. Oh. It's not an actual song and it's just him doing spoken word poetry over him just playing and talking about himself in the third person and his, his mom yeah. and his dad. And it's great. Um, yeah. So. And his mom's in the wheelchair and his dad's un- under the bed. And I was like... <laughs> And I was like, when his dad was under the bed, I was like, that's like kind of getting at what I like about Jack White, where it's like poetic, but but approachable. Yeah. And like, oh, it, it's a little bit surreal. It, like, it's cool. It's, a, it's him doing his best Bob Dylan impression, which yeah. Jack White doing a Bob Dylan impression just kind of spins off into this whole weird thing. So, yeah. And I think it was Paul, I just wanted to say that my favorite White Stripes song, I think this was on your, your B tier list. Which was the song Astro. I don't know yeah. why, but I listened to that song like 
like 50 times last year. I was like, something <laughs> about that song just crawled into my brain. And I just, it's infectious. Uh, it's very, I don't, I do not know what is going on with that yeah. song, but. Well, in the, in the words of the Jack, you create your own box. You don't have to listen to any other label maker spit in your obituary. <laughs> How's that? How's that? There you go. Good outro. <laughs> Not only was this episode fun and our 150th episode, but this is our last episode of the season. Oh, James, I remember when we were recording our last episode of last season. Uh-huh. I have a memory of playtesting that episode while on a walk through the hills of Burbank wearing one of those N95 masks and terrified and fat and quivering and um just feeling god awful but it's been a year and here i am walking through burbank with an n95 mask (laughs) (laughs) but now we're now we're hot and vaxxed and bothered and in the summer and i thought it'd be fun james to do what we did last year where we just sort of run down the episodes we did just to kind of like do a little bit of a victory lap and say like, hey, check check this out. What do you say? Let's do it. I'm excited. I don't remember half of them because I was sick through most of them. I know. Well, we kicked off season five of the Third Men podcast with our Dex Rom Weber extended oh interview. Oh my God. Yeah. That was a fun one, wasn't it? That was a good way to start out the season. I think he was outside of a hospital when we spoke with him. Yeah. And I was inside of a Catholic school, weirdly enough. All that is weird. After that, we talked to Co. We did Co. in the heart of Detroit at the end of September there. That's right. That was a super fun one. Yep. And we have stayed in touch with Co. throughout the process. If you haven't caught up with Co. and her happenings, you should definitely check out the heart of Detroit Instagram and Co.'s um, Instagram and Facebook. She's got a lot of stuff going on. Still active. I spoke with her the other day, actually. We we spoke on the phone, and there was one idea for 150 we had kicking around with her, but I think we're actually going to get to that in um, in Season 6. So stay tuned for more Co. on the Third Men podcast. But that was a great episode. And then, James, Alex Garaldi and Jordan Collins Ah, the Copper Sound. Yes. The Copper Sound, fellas, for the first time. We launched their product, Paul. And that's why it sold out. It was us. Uh-huh, it's us. Yeah, we were able to be a part of that press tour for the triple graph pedal which is so cool and alex and jordan just did such amazing work on that and the success on that pedal is just so amazing we're really happy and proud of those guys they did fantastic fantastic work so yeah they are were our only season three pete we had them on a total of three times but after alex and jordan james jeremy ivy ah yeah joined us on the podcast so that's a lot of names i just read right there we're just doing <laughs> Boom, boom, boom. Famo after Famo after Insider after Insider. It's great. We got a message from Margot Price that said that she was laughing so much listening to the Jeremy Ivey episode, listening to it around the house. Uh, And so that was really nice to hear because we're big Margot Price fans. And it's lovely to, to know that she checked that episode out and she enjoyed the podcast. So if you haven't checked out Jeremy Ivey's 
solo music you absolutely should it's wonderful mm -hmm. I, I maintain that that record he put out last fall is just one of the best from the third man orbit that i've had the pleasure of being exposed to through the third man orbit so anyway that was really cool and then james in november we kicked november off with a kills spotlight that you mm -hmm. conducted and josh aiken joined us for that one i believe yes he was my go-to guy in, uh, in terms of kills knowledge so i said uh do you want to school me and Paul? And he said, yes. And that was a great one. That was a great one. Uh, after that was our Karen Elson extended interview, which was another one of those head scratchers for us. We did not mention Mildred and the Mice. We should have. We didn't mention Mildred. That is really my only regret from the Karen interview. Yeah. But they, uh, man, super cool and a really sweet person. Like she was really nice to us, like on and off air. It was lovely talking to her. Yeah. And so after that was our, we took a break to pay our respects to Ryan Brady, who passed this season. And if anyone is, you know, looking to learn more about Ryan's life or is interested in what he had done, he was obviously, uh, you know, he was an executive at Atlantic Records and he uh, was a very successful groundbreaking music podcaster and musician in his own right. I encourage you all to check out his Take It Away podcast, which I'm working on now with his partner, Chris Mercer. Take It Away is a wonderful podcast, but Ryan also has some wonderful music. I encourage everyone to check out Abject Joy. That's his music he does as a um, solo artist. And then he and Max Perenchio put out a record in 2020 under the name Uncle Salsa and the Pelican Boy. And that is also very good. So everybody, if you haven't checked out Ryan's music or his podcasting, I really encourage you to do that. That's Ryan Brady and his music is Abject Joy or Uncle Salsa and the Pelican Boy. Check those out. Thanks to everybody for the nice messages we yeah. got after and that also episode. Also, now hear this, which I know Paul and Ryan both co-hosted and introduced a lot of people to a lot of good music, um, yes. which was Thank one you. of Ryan's specialties was getting people excited about music, myself included. So, uh, yeah, check those out. Thank you, James, for the Now Hear This plug. That show will be back. In fact, now that the Third Men podcast season five is over, I am dedicating all of my time to finishing that season. We recorded four before he died, and I'm working on those. And then we're going to have a just a parade of special guests on to help us discuss the albums Ryan had slated to talk about in this season and the seasons to come. So we're going to have a lot of cool people on there. Stay tuned. And then a couple of surprises on there. That season is coming. I think it's going to start in two weeks after this episode drops. So everybody check that out. And um, thanks for all the support. And after that, James was our Rad Key extended interview. Right. We've talked to Rad Key in the past, but they put out an album. Green Room. Green Room in the middle of the pandemic. And another album that was a real nice treat to get in 2020 i also encourage everybody to go out and and listen to that they are a super talented trio family band even and they put out genre bending rock and roll music because it, it goes in a lot of different places and it's super great stuff they had quite a year there in that new dave grohl documentary along with ringo star yeah. and saint vincent and stuff and they're going to be opening for foo fighters this year and so we're just pleased as punch for our friends in rad key so that is that was great. We love that episode. And that episode is doing very, very well for us. And then after Radkey James was Craig Brown, another Ooh. one. We just had a slew of these things. Just 
lots of special guests this season. Yeah, hot sauce and real estate mogul Craig Brown. Uh, like th- this dude is uh, funny and talkative, and such a pleasure to talk to. Like he was so willing to talk about anything with us, and that was really nice. So yeah, Craig Brown was a was a great one. Uh, there's a lot on the cutting room floor from that episode just because we talked for so long. Um, yeah, we we talked for like three hours was, with him or something yeah. like that. It, <laughs> it was, was really nice. Time. It was really fun. Yeah. Uh, and then to round out the year of 2020, we did a year in review with Ben Blackwell. So we had just a lot of special guests for the first half of season five. You know, we're going to have to like reach out and say we're going to have to get him back on now because he comes on every season. Right. It's in his contract with Third It Man. is in his contract. Yeah. I think we're going to only talk about Iggy and the Stooges next time. We should. Or we tell him we're going to talk about Iggy and the Stooges and we only talk about Paul McCartney. <laughs> well, that was a good one. We know Jack listened to that episode and had some comments for us. So thank you, Jack. Right. We will fucking curse <laughs> some more. I'm sorry, Jack. <laughs> we'll have some changes for next season. Maybe that's one of them. So we began the new year 2021 with our Southeast of Saturn episode, which was wonderful. Thanks again to our friends at Atmig, Julian Tobias, yeah, that was a that was a huge one. There was so many interviews in that um, yeah. with Hobie Eklund and and Wendy and Carl. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I, I should mention the first half of this season features some of our most downloaded episodes ever on the podcast. So thank you, everybody. Yeah, this season was like an unbridled success in ways that we haven't actually seen before on the show. So that it was really nice. Thank you all for supporting us this year. After. The Southeast of Saturn episode, we did a part one and two dodge and burn analysis and review, which was super fun. And after that, James, we spoke to Danny Croa. Hey, yeah, another famo, an insider. Another famo. How did we do it? How'd we do with that famo? Yeah, and he put out a new album, a new folk, Americana folk album, and was was a delight to listen to. And I mean, Danny's a, a legend, there's so many people who are just like, it, it blows my mind. We're just, we only have one more gory to go, James. We've got one gory to go. One gory to I'll go. I'll take one gory to go, please. I'll have one gory, please. And then in March, we did an Iggy Pop and Jack White deep dive that mm-hmm. you expertly researched and hosted, which was Thank wonderful. Thank you. I smeared myself in peanut butter just for the roll. Mm-hmm. And then we met our friends Alex and Jordan again for their second appearance this year on the Sound and Color episode where we discussed Jack White's relationship with color as a medium in his broader artistry. Yeah, always fun talking to them. And uh, I think we have a nice rapport with, with those yeah. with those fellers. After Sound and Color was Chris Lyons from Silver Synthetic. I am so thrilled with that record we got from Silver Synthetic this year. And it sounds like, hey... All signs are pointing to touring, baby. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I've been buying all kind of tickets. So once they come out here. Raffle tickets. I'm going to see uh, raffle tickets, train tickets, tickets to ride. Click it or ticket. Traffic tickets, parking tickets, deli counter ticket. I've just any ticket. I've just been grabbing. All of that was j- jokes. This is true. I have tickets to go see Brian Wilson, St. Vincent, Courtney Barnett. Margot Price and Billie Eilish. I've been ticket happy. You know who, I've been a ticket happy boy. Do you know what's funny is I am the concert goer of my relationship with my wife and my wife. 
And uh, she was the first one to get tickets to a concert for this concerting season. We're going to see Guar. Similar. We're going to see <laughs> AFI, the, the pop punk band, yeah, AFI, fun. A Fire Inside. We're going to see AFI. She's very excited. It's her favorite band. And she asked me, she's like, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. She's like, are you excited? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. She's like, you're not sounding excited. I'm like, it's going to be great. Um, and she's like, do you know how many times... I have gotten to see my favorite band. I'm like, I know, you've never seen them before. I'm like, she then said, do you know how many times you've gotten to see your favorite band? And I said, yeah, once. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah. And then they broke up like a couple months after. And she's like, yeah, we squeaked in. Yeah, she's like, wait, what? It's like the white stripe. She's like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Check. (laughs) So that is a score. For losing your favorite band, I guess. Score one for the (laughs) J-Band. Anyway, we're going to see them, and it'll be fun. That's going to be awesome. So anyway, congrats, Silver Synthetic. You had a great year. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to seeing you. Hopefully, when you come around after Silver Synthetic, we talk to Luke Sinclair, and we reimagined some White Stripes records on our Different Stripes Reimagining the White Stripes episode, and that was fun. Yeah, we did some wild introspection as to what like uh, of being fans of the white stripes this year. Yeah, we did like two kinds of episodes this season. Interviews and why do we like this? What, what is what is it about? What is it about them that we that keeps us making this? So. I think it was the trousers. We did Pop Quiz 2 after that one. Oh yeah, I was uh you seem surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> it was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, you've surprised me yet again. <laughs> yeah, Paul surprised me with a pop quiz that I did averagely on, which I think really highlights why I should be hosting this show, is that I know enough, but Just not, enough. not enough to make me seem like an expert, but enough to make it seem like I need to do more research, which this show is all about. Yes. Yeah. Well, after that, James, we had another, we had a pair of special guests on the show, April March and Olivia Jean, Woo! and that was just wonderful we had such a good time talking with them their new single and ep release that came out this year was fantastic and we're really looking forward to hearing april march's new record which comes out next month yeah and hopefully olivia jean will have some new music soon we saw her writing away and working on some new music when we were interviewing that's right her and so that could be uh could be very exciting yeah and we'll hopefully what happens there when new music comes out, we can get her back on the show and I can spill more anxiety onto her. And in June, so this month we're in right now, we began with the White Stripes Anatomy of a Fandom, where mm-hmm. James found out he really liked Little Acorns. Great. Beautiful and, song. Genius. Yeah, and Mozart. Then last episode was Would You Fight for My Love Copper Sound Edition. Now here we are with episode 150 four years of chances we hope you all enjoyed it we hope you enjoyed season five we are going to be going on our summer break where we do go on hiatus like we talked about and go and stalk and hunt and kill brian dennehy who Mm -hmm. again is already dead but we're still at it that's how dedicated we are right we're really looking forward to next season we have already some really special stuff in store for all of you who enjoyed the White Stripes Anatomy of a Fandom episode where we played a bunch of covers. Stay tuned. Watch this space. We'll have more announcements, perhaps in our Best Of episode that will come out probably sometime next month. Mm -hmm. So keep an eye out. 
because we're planning some pretty cool stuff. We've got a couple great episodes already brewing. We spoke to another guest um, earlier today, actually, as a matter of fact. Ooh. And uh, started planning on some stuff. So we've got a lot of stuff coming. Remember to check out Now Hear This. That's coming soon, probably in two weeks. That's when I plan to launch the new season of Now Hear This. Thank you, everybody, for listening this season. Again, we've been at this now for five seasons, you know, four and a half years. By the time we come back, it will be our sixth year doing this show. And we wouldn't be able to do it without your help and a whole lot of patience and editing. That's, um, yeah, but- that's mostly on Paul for the patience part because I'm the one who interrupts mostly. We have so much fun and we have so much fun talking to y'all and talking to y'all about music. It's just a blast. So thank you, everybody. And thanks to all of our Patreon patrons. One thing you can do over the summer is tell a friend. Seriously, that helps so much. Follow us on Instagram. You know, we're at the third men underscore podcast. Tell a friend to follow us on Instagram. Tell a friend to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash third men. Tell a friend to follow us on Twitter at third men cast on Twitter. Tell a friend to stalk Brian Dennehy. To stalk and kill. Again, he is already dead, but anybody maybe looks a little like Brian Dennehy. All you have to do really is lure an old man into the woods and spring a series of deadly traps for him is what we're looking for and hoping for. But also tell a friend about the podcast. Yeah, it's important to uh, expanding our horizons and our yeah. show. Yeah. Please do that. If you, one to do summer read. Let's let's call it summer reading. That'll be our summer reading assignment for everybody. Every, just get the thing some, everybody just, loves and doesn't wait to the last minute for. Get literally anybody to listen to the show. That's all. That sounded a little desperate, but it was actually because only you can find the type of person who would be like, I would love to listen to four hours of dodge and burn discussion (laughs) only you you're the ones that can find that for us only you can find someone who is willing to sit through 20 minutes or so of me reading a wikipedia article on why people like music that they like Uh, yes so that's that's up there if you want to spread the love you can send them our website or whatever and that would be really helpful and doing some reviews and stuff, go to rateus.thirdmanpodcast.com to give us a rating and a review, and that, that would be nice. Talk about Brian Dennehy. We don't care. We just like hearing from you. And until next season, James, I will be looking for a home in a Best Of episode coming soon, which will drop some pretty cool hints about what our Season 6 opener is going to be. Okay, and I will be looking for a home... I don't know, on the ship with Lord Zed, because I'm sick of being Rita Repulsa 600 years. I'm sick. I'm sick, Paul. I'm sick so long. Wow. Actually, I want to do one more thing before we go. I would, and just, just because I can't do this all the time, I would like to thank Dex Bromweber, Comalina, Jeremy Ivy, Karen Elson, the band Radke, Craig Brown, Ben Blackwell, Hobie Eklund, Wendy and Carl, Danny Croa, Chris Lyons, April March, Olivia Jean, and Alex Garaldi, and Jordan Collins, and all of the other guests that joined us on the other episodes of the shows. That's quite a list. And I am just so proud of this show 
And thank you to James for doing this with me Aww. and for sticking with me these four and a half years. Let's make it five. Hopefully it won't kill you in the process. It's trying. And thank you, Paul, for always doing the heavy lifting of editing when I wait till the last minute and say, Paul, I'm going to die. And Paul then does 30 minutes of editing. That's always really nice and sweet of him. And for always being the one who is uh, the adult in the room. Um, So I appreciate that. I'm going to redo my looking for a home because my other one was bad. Uh, I'm going to be looking for a home in a Gap commercial selling out. Whoa, and I will be looking for a home in a pair of khaki trousers. In a pair of khaki trousers. All right, see you next season, everybody. (laughs) Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. That's a wrap. Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough. But if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right. It's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody. I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Who? Why? No. No, okay. One million dollars. I'm going to meet you in the middle for 12 cents, and I'm going to give you this 12 cents right now. If you pick, if you give me this, if you allow me to pick, pick this interview. 
It's 11 cents. It's my, my counter offer. Picked. And that's what Done. they do after, after they... <laughs> they after all they, shout, picked! <laughs> and then they get slimed, and it's like, you got picked. Yeah. Uh, James is coming in completely cold here because I tried to give him an old callio earlier and uh, tell him what we were talking about today. And, uh, wow, James was out and he didn't pick up. So here's what we're going to talk about, James. We're going to talk all about the Corona button. That's fine. I had it. It's great. You know, five five stars. Five Um, stars on Yelp? Yeah. to the new amoeba today oh nice and it's still there and it feels nice to be back in there and it was really crowded and i left and i didn't buy anything but it was (laughs) awesome to be back in there it was the first time i've been in a record store in over a year that's awesome yeah thanks for having me i hope you guys do it what 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 were we gonna say i'm sorry i've gotten into that work remote like I'm just going to barrel through things. Yeah, I find yeah. I'm talking over people. Oh, me too. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that at all. what I was getting. A lot of it was more... <laughs> uh, was... <laughs> <laughs> out of the kinds of stuff oh, I'm getting a call from your brain so uh-huh. it's spam yeah. oh, somebody's up huh? huh? Ellie's up Ellie's up sorry I'm gonna have to go soon <laughs> is Nick frozen? <laughs> yeah I think he's up huh? I think one of them yeah, I think Nick is frozen.